Hey everybody, I want to talk about a product and platform that I absolutely love and our latest sponsor, Interseller, the prospecting and outreach platform of choice for recruiters and sellers. Whether you're doubling down on business development or recruiting talent, Interseller does all the heavy lifting of finding contact data, automating the email and follow-up process, and syncs all that rich data into 20-plus CRM and ATS platforms. Reach out now and get going on a two-week free trial and let them know you heard about it from Adam on the podcast today. Check out the link on the website. Appreciate it. Welcome to the podcast, where we introduce you to incredible humans who share their journeys with the mission to inspire you to harness your own inner tenacity to drive your life and career forward. And now, your host, Adam Posner. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast where I bring you the best in the world of business, marketing, recruitment, and cannabis to help you harness your inner tenacity to drive your career forward. So let's talk about cannabis, pot, grass, reefer, weed, whatever you want to call it. And I'm excited to welcome somebody who speaks my language on that front, as well as my day job in talent access. Carson Humiston is the founder of CEO of Vangst, the cannabis industry's recruiting platform. And since launching in 2016, Vangst has connected thousands of people with jobs at leading cannabis businesses around the world. And she was featured on the 2018's Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and Vangst was featured in Entrepreneur's 100 Brilliant Companies of 2018. So let's get to it. I'm excited to talk shop around all things weed and recruiting. So let's get at it. Carson, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Adam, for having me. It's great to be here. Awesome. So... I like to start my shows with bringing my tribe up to speed and talking about folks, how they got to where they are now. And um, like many entrepreneurs, you know, you started experimenting with starting businesses very early. What was that first entrepreneurship experience you had instead of going to summer school in the third grade? Let's go way back. Yeah, I mean, my dream has always been to be an entrepreneur. Actually, it's, it's funny because over the weekend, it was my best childhood friend's um, it's her 27th birthday, and so I was looking through um, just old photos, and we found we found this thing that we put in our neighbors' uh, mailboxes, and it said that you know we are a 12 year old and an 11 and a half year old, and we're opening a babysitting you know shop, and we said we could babysit kids ages uh, two to 10, and it was you know it's so funny looking at that because we're 11 year olds basically telling you we're going to babysit their 10 year olds. Um, and you know, that, that's one example of, of, of many, I think the, the business you were referring to is my golf ball stand, which I started in about third grade and golf yeah, ball stand. it's really been my dream to be an entrepreneur. So I feel lucky that this business has, has made it the, the, the furthest along out of all the other. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad that worked. So wait, the golf ball business, were you like going on the driving range of the golf courses and like stealing the balls from the from the ponds and everything and then reselling them yeah so i wouldn't go on to the driving range because those are <laughs> you put a helmet you know, on <laughs> those 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 golf balls are you know picked up and they're you know they're, they're 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 out there but where i would find the golf balls um would be in in the water and so i would you know i'd have something to fish the golf balls out and then in thick grass and throughout the woods and so i would just um ride around on my bike and park the bike and then you know, go down to the ponds and, and pull golf balls out and, you know, would come home with a, a decent size bucket of golf balls every day and That's then great. clean golf balls and then sell them along with snacks that I would take out of my family's um, refrigerator. Everyone would be like, where's the snacks? I'm like, <laughs> well, 
selling them out on the golf course. Oh my God, that's that's amazing. And and you knew back then, right? Like, did you did you feel it? You're like, oh, yeah, I really kind of got this this bug to to sell. Like, did you feel it back then, or when did when did that moment really? You know, I don't I I don't remember what I was thinking in 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 third grade, right? I have vague memories of all of it, but I remember liking it a lot. And I think that when you're in third grade, you're prioritizing doing what you want to do. And so I must have really wanted to sell something. And then as I moved through life, I just continued to, to love selling. You know, I, I think um, founders have all different types of strengths and, and areas where they really feel like they love spending their time. And for me, that's being in front of people and, and, and selling. Um, that's what I love to do. So Carson, fast forward to college and you started On Track Adventures and you've spoken to how college is a great time for people to try out entrepreneurship. When you were in college, did you ever, you know, consider skipping it or stopping or, you know, did you ever have that thought of, you know what, this is going pretty well. Why do I need college? No, I, I didn't. I, I think college was a great experience. And for me, I never thought about not going to college, though I know plenty of entrepreneurs and people in general, um, regardless of their career, that didn't go to college and, and have a, a great career. So I don't think it's a requirement. But for me, it was something that I I enjoyed it. I liked all my classes. I liked my professors. I liked the friendships I built. I liked the experiences that I was able to have in college. And so I, I never thought about um, being a dropout entrepreneur. If you don't mind me asking, when did you personally first get introduced to cannabis? Was it in college? When did I, yes, in college, right, there were... Most for a lot of people. Was, right, yeah, exactly. There was certainly cannabis at parties, um, but that was the first time that, um, you know, was, was introduced to, to cannabis. In high school, it really was never around. Interesting. Maybe I was just a loser and, 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 and you know... <laughs> you, friend, weren't, you weren't invited I to was, the cool kids' parties. Yeah, I was busy picking up golf balls, so I wasn't at the um, the cool well, parties. But well, cannabis, I, yeah, college would have been the first time. Cannabis would make golf ball foraging a lot more exciting. Looking back on it, yeah. Right? The, <laughs> so on, on track adventures, tell us what that was about. Where did that idea come from? On track adventures was a student owned, student run travel company. So as an example, we would have St. Lawrence Lake Placid weekend where we'd load up yellow school buses of people from St. Lawrence and we would go to Lake Placid and the, the hotel that we used in that trip was a Hampton Inn and you know we'd have 200 people from St. Lawrence kind of taking over Lake Placid for the weekend and we would have rent out different bars and we would set up different activities like um, bobsledding and hiking. That'd and, be a good time. You know, for people over 21 wine tasting and just a really fun thing to do and had a lot of great memories and really where I got that idea was I had studied abroad and in studying abroad, there were so many student run, student owned travel companies. So take kids that were studying abroad in all these different programs and have 200 of them go to Paris for the weekend. And because it was sort of, you were traveling in a large group that, you know, the costs were able to come down, but you were able to meet all different um, types of students that were all studying abroad. And I thought, wow, in, in the U.S., we don't have anything like this. Everybody goes to the same couple bars um, every weekend. Why not give this a try? 
And so that that's what that business was about. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like you've always had this this the common thread since you were you know young and in third grade, or these ideas of starting businesses. So so let's get on to Vanks, which wasn't always called that in the beginning, right? What was it called first? Yeah, so um, our original name was Graduana. I love it. And, I, I smiled and, when I saw that name. I'm like, yes, it's a great name. Where did that come from? Um, it's yeah, it's so funny. It's the, the website and the logo and everything about it is just really funny to look back on. But I had gone to a trade show and was walking around booth to booth, talking to companies, learning about what the companies do, and really asking them, are you hiring? And if so, what positions are you hiring for? And after the first day, I realized, wow, there's all different types of companies. They're hiring for all different types of positions. I have a network of people that can fill these jobs. And so I actually had a logo made, went and had business cards made overnight. And the, the, the best like I could a come up with was, was Graduana. Uh, it's a graduation cap with a, you know, a cannabis leaf coming off of the side. <laughs> green, green jobs for grads. And went back the next day and reintroduced myself um, with my new business. And, and it went back to St. Lawrence. I have photos in the St. Lawrence library of the first version of the website inexpensive website that I built on Wix. It's, it's, it's so, it's so bad looking when I look back at it now. Um, that's great. But it works, and that's all you need. I think people way overthink, um, their business and they spend all their time talking, talking, brainstorming, brainstorming, but all that is just an idea. And until you put one foot in front of the next, you'd be better off to have a, I think, and maybe this is a controversial take, but, um, just something out there and get started and, and get going. A hundred percent. It's action over perfection. I mean, I talk about this all the time, and especially in, in the recruitment, but you have to get the wheels in motion. You have to start something. If you have an idea, just, just don't concentrate on it being perfect. Don't concentrate on having what you think that final version should be. Just get at it. Just start it. Get some momentum. Completely agree. Completely agree. And look, I think that as businesses scale, that becomes harder and harder to keep that, keep that, um, mentality and that pace, right? And so it's, it's something really special that early day entrepreneurs, you know, you have the ability to move fast because there's not so many moving pieces. And so early day entrepreneurs, I, I think you have to get going. Like you'll learn so much by just putting one foot in front of the next and, and start executing. And Carson, what was one of those early lessons you learned even in, in Graduana before transition into what we call Vanks today? What was one of those, you know, really important early lessons that you could share with other entrepreneurs out there? Aside from just starting and getting things moving. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, early on lesson. Like a mistake or something like you thought, like it was like a you know, I should have done this, or maybe I shouldn't have, you know, taken outside funding. Maybe I should have tried to do something differently in the beginning. Sure. I think um, early on figuring out at what moment is it the right moment to start bringing team members on and what team members do you need to bring on? And so what I would say is, is that in the early days, you're doing everything, right? You're building the website, you're, and, and I didn't raise capital um, for, um, over two years after starting the business. And so I think this conversation is slightly different if you start out with a lot of capital. Right. I really did not have right. a lot of capital when I started the business. So in that case, you're doing everything. You are finding the customers, making sure that you're giving them a good experience and whatever the product is, whether it's 
you know, in my case, it was connecting them with people, if you're connecting them with a the service, if you're connecting them, you know, whatever you're offering them, making sure they're getting what they're buying from you, sending them the invoices, doing the marketing, figuring out how you're going to find new, I mean, you're doing everything. So I think early on, it's really important to figure out what is your superpower. So you have to do everything, but what are you really, really, really good at? Because you need to double down there. And so as you start thinking about people that you're going to bring onto the team, um, don't outsource what your core power superpower is. 100%. And that's a mistake I think people make. And so they, they um, will take me, for example, my core strength was sales getting in front of new customers, explaining to them what we were doing um, in, in, in selling, right? And so actually early on, I started hiring um, salespeople. And, and in reality, there was a lot of strength. other things that I should have um, hired for in advance of salespeople. A hundred percent. And I talk about like my approach to scaling is anything that somebody could do better, cheaper, and quicker than me, and something that would take me more time to learn, I'm going to outsource it. That's like, yeah. that's my, my principle there. And that's how I scale my business. So Graduana graduates and Vanks is becoming a real business. But like, how did like, I mean, technically it's recruiting. Like how, how did this come about? Like, were you always just like a natural connector and then uh, transformed into the business model? Like you didn't have any previous recruiting industry experience, right? No recruiting industry experience. Um, funny, one of the recruiter, one of the first recruiters that we hired, um, I applied to the recruiting company and mm. went through the whole process as if I was going to join this place, which obviously I wasn't going to do, but I asked a lot of questions around their business model, Intel. how it works, et cetera. <laughs> and then at the end I said to the, to the, you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure they wanted to hire me. And I said to the person, look, I'm, I'm not doing this, but I'm going to do my own business. How will you leave and you come work for us? And, uh, um, he came. And, I love uh, it. You recruited yeah, the recruiter. Had, you recruited the recruiter. Um, Look, we just started hiring um, recruiters that had, you know, expertise in a certain lane and could could offer this to our clients and could start building a network of candidates from you got to remember, there's not that much talent in the cannabis industry. It's new at, back at this time. Le so we're legitimate out, talent. Yeah, right. And we're having to figure out what are parallel industries that we should start targeting. And so um, CPG is 100 percent um, large scale agriculture. Um, pharmaceuticals, right? Retail. And so we started sort of identifying recruiting agencies that were focusing in this space and, and, and hiring those recruiters to come over and help us um, start do, building out. Do you, do you feel that was an advantage to not have that recruiting experience? Because my, my, my unique take on like, so I transitioned into the world of recruiting at the age of 36, not having been a recruiter. And I literally had to start a new career in recruiting, but I felt like not having that experience was an opportunity for me. I didn't have to unlearn anything. And it was all like, I knew the market already. So I didn't have to learn, you know, the types of roles, but I did have to learn how to be a recruiter. Yeah. So I think it was definitely an advantage, especially given how now, how technology driven our business is. Generally speaking, I think most search firms are archaic and they operate that you might as well give them like directories of phone booths and have them, have them utilize, you know, pen and paper. Um, and so we really, after, you know, I was just watching this and thinking there, you know, you can press a button and have an Uber driver, um, show up to you in three minutes. Right. But it's, it's taking, you know, you know, manual recruiters to fit, you know, so much manpower to fill temporary short-term jobs right. for 
has to be a way to help automate and streamline this. And so I think, um, and I got pushback from a lot of uh, traditional people who have been in. Of course you are. As did I. They say it's not going to work. The reality is people are, Mm -hmm. you know, afraid that technology is going to eliminate their job, which in my opinion, I don't, I don't agree with. There's still a very human element of um, screening and, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of human touch, but combined with good technology, I think it makes really great matches. So that's, that's, um, yeah, I think it helped. And and if you, and if you really think about that, I mean, I I hear that all the time that like people ask me, they're like, Adam, do you think that AI and tech is going to take over recruiting? Go, no, I think it's going to make our jobs better and easier and more efficient in some ways, maybe some of the more a lot of the processes early on can be automated, but at the end of the day, it's human to human. You need to understand someone's motivations. You need to understand a re- really what the client is looking for. That is the art of recruiting, of the matchmaking element. To it. I don't think it's ever going to take it over. So, you know, the, the, you know, when it started out, like cannabis still very stigmatized, illegal in lots of parts of the country. How, I mean, how do you get around that? Like, how do you focus on, you know, Sticking with the legitimate side of it, how do you make sure that you know you're doing things on the up and up state regulations that has to complicate things? Right. So we only worked with licensed cannabis businesses, and so in the early days, we would have a lot of people that would say, you know, we we operate in like black market, um, and those obviously weren't a fit. I mean, I think that we're we're a two sided marketplace, and we have a responsibility mm-hmm. to both sides. So on the um, candidate side, we have a responsibility to only connect our candidates with the best. Um, and, and, um, up and up. Yeah. With the best cannabis businesses and on the, um, cannabis business side, we have an obligation to connect them with top tier talent, whether that's for a entry level trimmer or a COO and right starting out with making sure that, um, companies are licensed and on the up and up. And, and, and I mean, it's very clear. You could, you can look with the State Department, and there, it's no yep. um, secret, and it's very public information. And then on the candidate side, right, each state has different requirements just from a legal compliance perspective. And so in our platform, candidates upload a photo of their badge, and right, there's a different badge for Colorado than in, um, you know, Nevada, where so Colorado's right. a head badge, Nevada is an agent card, right? These, you know, and this, this goes on across all the states. So we make sure that we have that, but at the same time, you know, we're building the largest network of badged employees in Colorado. So to our customers that can um, come and search Colorado badged candidates, that's, you know, that's really valuable to them. You know, same with, same with Nevada, mm-hmm. search the largest network of um, people with agent cards. And so uh, that, that, that's a, that's a huge benefit tremendous. to our clients. Yeah. Tremendous. So, you know, let's talk about some, what are some of those challenges in addition to the, the, the legality, the, um, the, the badges, the authority, like what are some of the other unique challenges, you know, to the cannabis industry recruiting within it? You know, this isn't so industry specific, but I, the whole industry is a startup. And so if you think about it, these businesses, many have not even been around for five years. So the industry is a startup and the businesses are a startup and you deal with classic startup problems across all the clients, right? I mean, the businesses look different every 12 months because they're growing so quickly. Or if they're not growing so quickly, they're, 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 they're going the other way and it also looks different. And so there's, there's very few com- cannabis companies that are just kind of status quo, humming along. You know, we've been at this for 15 yeah, years. Yeah, even like the Cureleaf, like the bigger ones, it's all new. It's all new. I mean, that's a great example. Cureleaf is an awesome 
a relatively new client of ours, amazing team. They're growing very quickly and, um, you know, it, it, it's constantly changing. And so you need to have, you need to move fast, faster. I always tell our team, we're not moving. We think we're moving fast. We could be moving faster, mm-hmm. right? Be 10 steps ahead of our clients and we need to anticipate what their needs a year from now are and build towards that because the industry is moving and changing so quickly. So I just think um, the speed of it is a unique challenge and some people get burned out. No, absolutely. And by the way, I see that they're hiring for a VP of, of brand marketing. So if that's not something you guys cover, you could certainly send that in uh, in, 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 my, in my direction over here. Yeah, I, I did, yeah, I will. Appreciate the referral. See, that's how it works, people. And I always tell, I always, whenever I'm training a new recruiter or anything, I go, you always ask for the referral. Like one-on-one right there. So let me ask you, like, what, what makes a good recruiter in your eyes? What are some of those skills? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. And I think it kind of depends on the type of um, role that they're filling, right? And so our executive recruiter, Jennifer Bedford, I think that her one of her superpowers is truly understanding what the need is and really digging in with the client to help understand what are you hiring this person to do? What does success look like? in your eyes? What are the gaps right now? Uh, over the first 30, 60, 90 days, what does it look like? But over the next two years, how does this position evolve? What, um, you know, if, if um, what does this person's team currently look like? What are, what are areas of the team you want to see better? What uh, growth opportunities team-wise is there for this person to recruit for, right? I mean, really, really, really a lot of work on the upfront. 100%. We're not just Good recruiters are not order takers, right? You can't possibly kick off a successful search in a 30-minute intake call because there's you need to speak to other people at the company, speak to people this person's going to be working with. Um, so I really think that the intake upfront work of finding out what this company does, who they, you know, you know, who they are, who the key players are that this new hire is going to be working with, what does success look like in this role, and doing. All the upfront Love that question. The has a clear understanding is, in my opinion, the key. It's interesting you say that because that's that's a question that I tell candidates to ask on an interview. What does success look like in the first, you know, 30, 60, 90 days? So they could really understand, am I jumping into, you know, am I being thrown into the fire or am I going to have a runway to be set up for success? Um, talk to us a little bit. I know that Banks does a lot to help fill, you know, seasonal and, and, and temp work. Um, how do you guys position that differently? than a standard recruiting agency working, you know, with, with temp. Is there any differences, any key differences? Um, yeah, so our, our clients can post a gig right on our platform and candidates that have been vetted by us can um, apply to the gig and match the gig directly with them. So, we, you know, we put a little bit more of um, autonomy in the clients and the candidates. Oh, interesting. Can. So it's almost like a self-service um, platform to some extent, a little bit more. Self-service, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's a number one differentiator. I would say that we have a, a, a team of outbound recruiters constantly recruiting new people to join our platform. Um, and then those people are eligible to, to apply to the gigs. And so we have a, you know, a, a large outbound team, right? And so our team all day, every day is, you know, this industry is growing really quickly. And especially on the temporary side, we do our job um, correctly and we place someone into a gig, perhaps they could actually get converted into a full-time employee. So we're constantly right. working to replenish the um, pipeline and the supply of solid temporary um, employees and making sure they have the right badges, the right certifications, and, and there'll be a good fit for, for our clients. But it's a high volume game. I mean, like, no, it is. it's a very different experience than 
an exact search like I was just describing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and how have you seen, you know, the the cannabis industry and specifically cannabis recruiting industry been affected during COVID over the last 13, 14 months? So look, in the beginning, people didn't know what was going to was going to happen. There was a moment where it wasn't even clear if cannabis would be deemed essential. So in mid-March through, you know, um, I don't know, early April, uh, there was a ton of layoffs, right? I would say the majority of cannabis businesses did layoffs or furloughs. We did a survey and we found that actually 80% of cannabis businesses did layoffs or furlough in the beginning. What ultimately ended up happening was that we saw cannabis sales soar. And it's proven that in economic pullbacks, people consume and purchase more cannabis. So I think that next time around, businesses will be um, more aggressive. And I, I do think this industry is recession proof. So really, we just saw um, a little bit of, you know, in the beginning, layoffs and furloughs. Then throughout the course of the summer, employees were hired back. Yep, um, there was a flow to it. Fall in Q1, we start hiring, really start to pick up. Hiring is, you know, really picking up right now. Um, you know, there's also the consideration of social distancing rules. And so especially on the temporary side, you're already having to limit the amount of staff you can have in your facility. And so and you're Good trying points. to contain your germ pod. And right. So to bring in additional temp staff, um, when, you know, numbers were at an all-time high, you know, was not in the cards for a lot of companies That's from tough. a safety perspective and a social distancing perspective. No, no, absolutely. So what is it? what does the industry look like in a post-COVID world? I think that this is going to be the highest growth three years that the industry will see with all the current markets um, growing and expanding, right? Every single market grew um, that was already legalized. And then you have brand new markets. And so you have New Jersey, New York, Arizona. Yep. Those markets are just getting it's started. Opportunity. It's just, it's an incredible amount of um, jobs, tax revenue. I mean, it's just, the whole thing is amazing. It sounds like you love what you do. Do you like you really enjoy this? Like, does, is there is there a separation between, you know, work and life or are you just at a point of happiness where like it's your calling? It's what you've always wanted to do and, and you've manifested it and it's come together. I always say to people that and maybe this rubs people the wrong way, but I, I always say that I don't really believe in work life balance. I just believe in life and you prioritize what's important to you. And so when I think about sort of my day to day, I really don't think like from eight to six, I'm going to do banks and from mm-hmm. six to, you know, nine, I'm going to do exercise and socialize and, and all that. I, I don't really block it like that. I, I think like, this is what I want to get done right in, in, in the day. So whether I'm, I, I was about to say I'm an athlete. I think I'm too old to consider myself an athlete, <laughs> but I really like athletic things. I like don't think you could say that. And, biking and hiking and all that. So I know I want to do that every day. I know I want to hang out with, um, in my case, my boyfriend, hopefully um, someday, husband and kids. So that's important. I want to do a great job at my job and I want to spend um, time with my friends. And so those are all the things that are important to me. And so it's just life. Like those yeah. are what's important to me and I'm going to make them them all happen. So well said. Yeah, I don't really think that like it has to be these like very separate things. No, it's not, it's not either or. And and last, what what does it mean to be a vangster? And how do I become an an old vangster? What does it mean? Yeah, so um, vangsters are. It's actually a, a term we're, we're we're some are moving away from. But at one point, we would consider the folks who would place into jobs vangsters. Um, 
but I, I think our marketing team is somewhat um, moving away from that. But that's originally yeah. anyone that place we would call them a bankster. But look, the industry is um, maturing more, and we're not sure that correlating. You know, of course, that makes people think gangster. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good point there. Maybe it needs a little brand, brand, brand realignment there. So let's bring it home, uh, Carson. What? When I say the word authentic, I mean, that's a vibe I get from you. What does that mean to you? What does authentic mean? I think it's just being your your real self and not um, making decisions based on what you think other people um, think. I think it's just being true to yourself and 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 not trying to be someone that you're not. And when you find yourself potentially acting in a way that you don't think aligns with, you know, your values and, you know, you, you, you recenter yourself. No, that's, that, that, that's fantastic. And what is, what is, I ask every guest on the show this question, what is the single greatest piece of advice you've ever received that you take action on every single day? Like a mantra, something that you sure. put into practice. I, I really think like the, like, you become what you think about all day long and that you're in charge of where you're going, right? I think that, and, 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 you know, really being proactive, I think a lot of people sort of like blame their circumstances and they blame, you know, the world for where they are. And so like, I, I got that advice very early on. It's like, you become what you think about and um, like act in the job that you want to have, not the one that you have. And right. And so, I, you know, whenever I find myself being like, oh, like this thing didn't work out because of this, it's like, no, this didn't work out because of something I did. And here's what I can do about it next time to do better. And so trying not to kind of blame the world for problems and focus on just um, how you can do better. Yeah, that's fantastic. And last but not least, you know, you look back on the early days when you were out there, you know, selling golf balls and foraging, you know, for them. And you always had this entrepreneurial bug. And you had to dig down and, and build something and find that tenacity to drive you forward. And in the same breath where you're sitting right now and you're thankful for what you built and what you're building in the direction and really just being part of creating something and how amazing that is. You have your compass. You have that focal point. Carson, what is your North Star? For my life or for banks? For you. For me. Um... That's a good, another good hard question. Um, no, see, no one ever, no one ever asked me these things. Um, so it's, welcome it's, to I the gotta, podcast. I got to think about it for a second. Um, honestly, my my north star is is to continue growing our business and to continue really providing value to our clients and candidates, which will in turn um, provide value to our business and all of our shareholders, and so run a great business that solves a great problem is definitely a piece of the North star and be a great, um, family member and, and friend is, is my other thing that's important to me. I think early on in, in, um, my business, I was so focused on the business that I sort of forgot, um, how important it is to be a great friend and a great family member. And so, um, especially over the last few years and, and during COVID I've been re reminded of that and sort of to continue to do that. I love it. Carson, thank you so much for spending some time with me and my audience. Where could folks find you? Where could they learn a little bit more about Vangst? Yeah, thank you, Adam. It was so much fun being part of this conversation. I appreciate you having me. Sure. Um, people can find me on Twitter at K Hummiston. 
people can find Vangst at vangst.com and you can also follow Vangst on all of the um, available social media channels and you can also connect with me on Vangst so build a profile on Vangst um, and, and search Carson Humiston and connect with me and you know we can speak right on our right on our network. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we're going to link everybody up in the comments in the show notes. And I want to thank everybody for joining us on this fantastic episode of the podcast. Thank you again, Carson. Uh, remember to find out more at thepodcast.com. Follow us on all the social media channels. You know where to find us. Remember, take care of each other. Stay six feet apart and catch us next week for another great episode of the podcast. Wisdom is forever. But for us, it's time to go. Thank you for joining us. Luckily, we'll be back with our next episode soon, jam-packed with more incredible humans. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and sharing. To join the conversation, search The podcast on LinkedIn. And to catch up on past episodes and more info, please visit www.thepausecast.com.